right. we're live on Facebook and we're live on YouTube and also live on LinkedIn. Um, welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the Unbossed podcast. Um, this is a founder spotlight. As you all know, I interview amazing women that are doing amazing things. Today, my guest is Brie Kaplan. She is founder and executive director at Code Your Dreams. Welcome, Brie. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you have you on. I, I we're gonna dive into your founder story, um, and I'm excited to highlight women who are founders and have their own company. Before we get into Code Your Dreams, I would love for you to tell the audience about a little bit about you. Um, maybe a little where are you from and where did you grow up? Definitely. Um, so I'm originally from Baltimore. Um, I came to Chicago when I was 18. I went to the University of Chicago, uh, where I studied a lot of different things. Um, after graduating, I started working as a data scientist in tech and was just immediately blown away by the opportunities that exist by being a part of the tech sector. Um, but I also realized just the lack of diversity in tech and the accessibility issues that um, are in the sector. So as a data scientist, I felt like I was in a position where I myself could make an impact. Um, I've always been really passionate awesome. about education and curriculum design. Um, and so I started running educational programs um, in different communities here in Chicago, and it just snowballed into starting a nonprofit uh, and starting Coach Your Dreams. I love that. Um... So you actually did work as a data scientist as part of your experience. And so I'm just wondering, like, talk to us about your personal experience, graduating, moving into data science. How was that experience for you? Yeah, I will be very real about it. It was not without yeah. its challenges. Um, a lot of times I was putting on a face that I was this very confident female data scientist, uh, but oftentimes I just felt a lot of imposter syndrome. I was mm. just to a few people last night that as women, especially um, women founders or women in tech, we feel like we have to prove ourselves a hundred times over until we finally think that, you know, we're worth it to, to be in this room or or be in this meeting. And so I felt that a lot. Um, I dealt with a lot of um, people who looked at me differently or treated me differently, um, being the one female uh, in the room or um, in the role. And so just dealt with a lot of those challenges. But on the other side of the coin, it was also amazing uh, working in tech I mean, people are so curious in the field. There are so many opportunities at any company. Um, so there's the good and the bad. Yeah, as a fellow woman in tech, I can tell you that um, that has also been my experience. And it's not everybody's experience, but it's definitely a large number enough where um, I think 
uh, there are definitely parallels across our community of women in tech. Why do you think, having talked to other women and through Code Your Dreams, what, what is what is causing such a big imposter syndrome? I mean, you graduated from University of Chicago, which is a highly regarded university. There were other people graduating with you as well and may have not felt the same way. Where do you think this is coming from, this imposter syndrome? Yeah, so I mean, I only have my hypothesis. I think it comes from early childhood. I mean, just thinking really? of myself as a one-person study, uh, my entire life I was told that I was good at the humanities. I was taught to be quiet. I was taught not to break rules. A lot of times boys are treated the complete opposite. So um, while myself, I never learned how to ride a bike. Both of my brothers learned how to ride bikes. So there's there's some differences growing up. And I think that just those kinds of ideas in our head, they just stay with us from early childhood to now. Even being at a college like the University of Chicago, I even questioned myself being there. And I remember my first computer science class, I went home to my dorm and I cried because I just felt like I didn't belong there. Um, when I walked into the room, everyone was furiously typing on their computers. There was code on their screen and it was an intro class, right? And I was also the only female student in that class. So I just had wow. negative thoughts going through my head um, at the time, but somehow just have persevered. <laughs> how did you, how were you first introduced to data science? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I first, well, first I learned about computer science, which was in college. Yeah. And my brother said to me, I think over text, because I was just picking up a major, throwing it away, picking up another major, throwing it away. And he said to me, he said, what about computer science? And I had no idea that was even a field of study. So that's where I started. Ooh. And then my first job out of college, I was working on a project using Python. And I didn't even mm. realize that the work that I was doing was actually a data science project. <laughs> and when I finally completed it and realized, oh, this is the world of data science, um, that's when I decided to just take a, a turn and go down that route. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure all of the audience, all of my audience at least knows this, but if it just in case you don't know, mind explaining a little bit the difference between data science, data engineering, and computer science? Definitely. So data science is really just leveraging data to tell a story or make an insight. Um, it's really close to data analytics. Usually the difference is data science uses those buzzwords like machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, whereas software engineering is actually building the software um, using code. Um, and then data engineering is kind of a combination of both of them, right? Like you are a software engineer, but you're you're building the tools and the systems um, for all of the data to to work within an application or a system. Nice, well said. Thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, what was your favorite 
part about being a data scientist. And maybe it's specific projects that you have encountered or projects that you're following nowadays on the internet. Uh, but I would love to hear what's your perspective. Yeah, I loved working as a data scientist and I miss it to this day. Just being able to be so curious and solve problems, just me and my computer. Uh, I think my favorite project um, was I um, I was working at a company called Adovo, which shout out to Adovo. They're a great company and I think they're hiring. Um, they build tablets for people who are incarcerated and so so I worked on a ton of really cool data science projects wow. for them that were both technically cool, but also cool in a social impact way. Um, mm. And then the other great thing about that project is that they also let me, um, had me um, actually go into Cook County Jail um, and work with people so that I was also wow. able to support the actual users of the platform um, that I was working on. That's really cool. Is that where you first got introduced to social impact and the social activism that you have now brought with um, uh, Dream Your Code, uh, Code Your Dream, sorry? Yeah, so I think uh, my interest in social impact is from like way into my childhood. Um, it was more the computer science that came a little bit later. However, when I started working as a data scientist, it was hard for me to find a role that was also in the social impact space. So what I decided to do was work in just like a, a non-social impact company, um, but just knowing that, okay, I'm not making a social impact right now, but I'm building the skill so that in my next role I can. And I think that's that's true uh, for a lot of people. So I did that and it was actually while I was at um, an analytics company that um, I started Code Your Dreams, um, really because I wanted to do something that would make a difference for people. Nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, like the transition between employee to potentially employer, right? Because now you have your own company and, and you're all your 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 own employer. Um, you know, I have I've noticed that um you've held multiple positions at different companies. Did you ever thought that maybe that sorry, Chicago Sirens never fit. Um did you ever think that uh maybe like corporate was not for you or how did you realize you needed to start working for yourself how did that transition happen yeah i i figured it out pretty quickly that corporate wasn't the role wasn't really the place for me i think that i don't love authority and so and hierarchy and so it just didn't really gel with my attitude and my personality um, yeah. so I just, I really did just have an affinity more towards startups, nonprofits, entrepreneurship, um, those types of environments, um, I've always just been more interested in. Right. But, and then talk to me a little bit more about finding yourself in that time frame. Were, were you 
trying a lot of things or trying to figure out, did you already know exactly what you were going to go do um, with Your Dreams? How was that decision-making process for you? Yeah, no, I had no idea what was happening at the time. Um, I started with an idea. So my idea was I'm going to create a curriculum that introduces computer science, but it also introduces the amplification of youth voices, social justice, um, community activism. So that was really my idea. And I didn't do much research. So the more research that I did and the more programs that I ran, it just constantly what Code Your Dreams was, was just constantly moving. I always had my North Star for like, who I want to impact and why, but our actual actual programs just changed pretty drastically, just like semester after semester after semester. Um, and I could have never imagined that it would be what it is today. I really just thought of it as um, just, you know, programming. And now I really think of it as an entire movement. Um, and so it's yeah it's been a it's been a very interesting journey yeah and uh you know when you when you speak about semester for semester were you doing full-time and this part-time as well how tactically did that happen did you just like start and then the other question was you mentioned you always had your like north star do you mind sharing what the north star is for us as well Definitely. So I um, just juggled a lot of things full time. Um, I yeah. remember one company I was at as a data scientist, and these were the days where I was teaching every program. We didn't have the, the budget to hire instructors at this point. So I would be in the office. I'd look around, look around. Is anyone watching? And I would just dash out as fast as I could take a train to the west side, <laughs> teach a program, take a train back to the office, okay, back to my work. And then the next day, taking a train to the south side, <laughs> coming back, back to my work. So for a really long time, I was doing that every single day. Um, and then yeah. I would just wake up my hours at night. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone noticed and if they did, they were just really kind enough not to say anything. Um, and I think when it comes to what my North Star is, it's really just like the amplification of diverse voices um, and just really letting um, the people that I work with and my communities decide for themselves what's important to build, what do I want my community to look like. So um, no matter the program, it's always been that students themselves are the ones defining their own problems, defining the solution, designing with their community, presenting with their community. And so I think that is is something for me that's always just been really um, important. That's really cool. Thanks for that. 
That was that was interesting. Like looking back to that time and thinking about COVID twenty twenty, it would have been much easier starting a program like that nowadays. Because you would have just been online instead of having to like run to all these places, right? It's so funny, but at the same time, I built such amazing relationships by actually yeah. being able to be at the community center at the school. Like just getting to meet parents and principals, different staff members, just like hanging out with kids outside of program hours. Um, yeah, I, I, it was definitely less convenient, but I think at the end of the day, I was really lucky to, to have the opportunity to do that in the beginning. Yeah, what what recommendation would you have for people who are thinking about starting a company like that and do hold a full-time job right now? What's what's the looking back, what's the lessons learned? I think for me, the only way that I made it happen was with my passion, the fact that this is the thing that I'm so passionate about that I will talk about this, not because I have to, but because I just want to, and I'm obsessed with it. Um, that, that being true made it much easier for me to be able to balance so many things. Like I was at a 30th birthday party last weekend, and I think I was talking about like equity in education the entire time. Um, just because of my pure passion with it, the space. And so I think if it's something that you're truly passionate about, you will make it work. You'll find time in your schedule to push things around and you might have to prioritize some things over others. And, and that's okay. Like at the end of the day, um, I don't know, I wouldn't worry too much about it or stress too much about it. You really will just make it work. Thank you for that. That's really cool. Um, did you, were you ever afraid of like job security at the same time? And were you like, oh, I don't know. Are they, are they going to catch me? Am I going to get found out? What am I going to do? Um, no, but my mom is. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 well, why not? Well, why, well, I think maybe I'm just crazy, but I just think everything will work out the way that it will. Like, I'm just so confident that this is what I need to be doing. And I see the impact in my students and I, that outweighs so much the fear of losing a job, you know? There are other jobs out yeah. there, but for a student, we're catching yeah. them at important times in their life where yeah. they really need um, these types of opportunities. Uh, but again, my mom is so stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about um, Code Your Dreams. Who do you serve? What is your mission? Definitely. Um, so we work with community centers, schools, prisons, Reentry centers and detention centers. Um, we work with students, really large group uh, of age ranges from kindergarten through 12th grade, and we also serve adults. Uh, we work with communities that are just historically disenfranchised. And really, the work that we're doing is number one, empowering our students not just to be technologists, but also change makers and activists for their communities. 
And number two, we're exposing our students to all of the various roles that exist within a technology company. So not just a nice. software developer, but project and product managers, designers, UX researchers, um, marketing and sales. So the way that our program works is that um, we have different tracks. So there's app development, web development, data science and analytics, and now FinTech is our newest program. So students think about, okay, these are the amazing assets that I have in my community. They do some asset mapping, but they also think, okay, these are also problems that I experience and others in my community experience as well. And so they go through the design thinking process and they come up with an idea for something they can build that helps address or help solve that specific problem. And then we just teach them everything they need to know in order to make that idea into a reality. Um, down to actually pitching that idea uh, or that product, uh, marketing it, branding it, um, and then we have really fun celebratory showcases. I love that. Do you have um, the periodic programming and, and what's the period length that you offer? Yeah, so most of our programs are one semester long, but we also have full academic year programs. And then we do summer intensive programs that run um, several days of the week throughout the summer. Right. Um, and uh, you mentioned you're a nonprofit. Um, how does your partnership or your clientele, how does, uh, like, uh, what is, is it like a custom price range? And I'm trying to get to how do you how do you engage financially with all these different entities that you have available? Yes, yeah, so our programs are free for all of our students and partners. Um, so they're <laughs> pretty expensive programs. We really rely on individual donors, grants, um, and especially tech com tech companies as sponsors because we are a pipeline of future diverse tech employees. I think that tech companies really do have an incentive to donate to us and organizations like us that are really building the next generation of what their workforce looks like. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations, that's really cool that you can offer this for free. Yeah, it, I mean, it's important. The other thing that we do that not a lot of people know is that stipends for these types of programs are really important for students as well. So for most of our programs, students do get paid for being a part of the program. Uh, and a lot of this is due to the fact that Without payment, that's a huge barrier for students who have to take care of their families themselves and would otherwise have to get a part-time job. Um, so that's just an added layer on top of our program. Love that. So you, uh, any individual can sign up or do you specifically partner with institutions at this point? Right now we're partnering with institutions and then the exciting thing that we're, we're creating is a start a club model. Um, so that we don't have to hire every instructor, but anyone who wants to start their own Code Your Dreams Club, whether it's at their school, their community center, a local prison, um, they're able to actually get all the onboarding and training in order to create and sustain that program. Nice. 
as a woman in business, what was the decision between um, that you made between uh, creating a non-for-profit or a for-profit organization? And was there any debate that you had for yourself about which way to go? Yeah, I think a lot of times women are naturally drawn towards nonprofit. I know that I personally was, and I've always had like a weird relationship with money where I felt like, like I, I need to be very frugal and like everything else like should be used for some sort of impact. And so I kind of just have lived that way, um, which made choosing a nonprofit very easy. But then COVID happened, uh, which for Code Your Dreams was very, very challenging. Um, we had much mm. higher program costs than uh, in non-COVID times, and those costs came like within a day. Um, so I wasn't able to, as a nonprofit, say, oh, we'll just get a ton more individual donors or oh, we'll just get twice the number of grants. Um, that wasn't really possible. So what I had to do was really uh, think um, creatively about how can I create a more sustainable revenue model. So I actually did create um, a for-profit um, company during the pandemic to help fill the gap for um, the nonprofit. And so now having both a nonprofit and a for-profit, it's been just incredibly interesting seeing the pros and cons on both sides. Tell me a little bit about those pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, one is just fundraising. Somehow fundraising is so much easier for a for-profit. Um, I mean, when you think of how many dollars are in the world of VC and investment, those dollars aren't going to nonprofits because the return isn't dollars for you. The return is impact. So I found that when I do talk to people, for the most part, even though I lead with Code Your Dreams, people are gr naturally gravitate more towards being interested in supporting the for-profit. Um, so that can be just one thing to think about um, if you're starting something, but I would never want to tell anyone not to start a nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is the for-profit branch? Is it called the same, Code Your, Dream, Code Your Dreams? So um, the story behind it, it's called Coder Heroes, where coding is a superpower. Yeah. Um, yes. So when COVID happened, um, we saw these huge budget needs. And so um, on LinkedIn, every single day, I had at least 10 people in my LinkedIn messages saying, these were like Google execs, Facebook execs, Apple execs messaging me, hi, Brie, um, things are crazy. Um, my kids are driving me crazy. Any way that you can fit my kids into your Coach Your Dreams program? Day after day after day, I'm getting so frustrated thinking, you are like the top 1%. This is a nonprofit. We're serving completely different audience. But then when I what I realized was, wow, there's a huge market 
for these for-profit programs. So that's when I started Coder Heroes. I developed a, a new program um, where kind of like Tom's Shoes, where you buy a shoe, give a shoe. This was you buy a class, it gives a class back to the nonprofit. And so that just completely filled the gap um, for budget needs. Um, and then it dawned on me like, wow, this actually is, um, can be a sustainable business and a sustainable revenue model to not just fill the gap during COVID, but really help us expand. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That is amazing. And congratulations on like being able to identify that need and like just like jumping on it and getting it done. Thank you. I I can't, it, it felt like it, it was just so fast. And then I knew this was a real need that I was solving because within two weeks of starting the business, I had Forbes and the Chicago Tribune um, that wanted to write about it. So I was like, okay, I was right. <laughs> this is important. That is so cool, Marie. I'm so excited to hear that. And uh, it is a real need. Um, it is any need for many reasons for like and one of the main reasons is I, I do have three children and I do think like everybody is in tech nowadays in some sort of way, right? Um and so I, I'm super excited for you to get that education out to uh not only um disenfranchised well, historically disenfranchised communities, but also um people who just wanna pay for it and need it and want to learn more about tech and and can contribute to the, the tech ecosystem um, in their own way. So that's really, really cool. Thank you. We'll have to talk about your kids too and see if any of them <laughs> are within our ages. That would be awesome. Um, earlier you mentioned uh, you're so passionate about this that you just continuously talk about the state of education and um, equity or equality. Uh, I forget which word you mentioned. Um, I think it was equity. What is the state of education and, and equity and what's going on in that space? Yeah, that's a really large question that I'll narrow down yeah. to just my subject tackle matter. It. Yeah, tackle <laughs> it however you want. Yes. Yeah, computer science education. So it really looks different uh, neighborhood by neighborhood, totally around the globe. So uh, in Chicago, something interesting um, that the city did was, I believe it was a study by the CME. They looked at, so uh, similar to food deserts, there are also computer science deserts. So these are neighborhoods where students don't have access to computer science opportunities, specifically during out of school time. And so they uh, created a map of Chicago showing all of the neighborhoods that don't have access to computer science. So you can look at one school that might be, you know, on the north side, uh, they might have a robotics club and uh, all of these computer labs and um, just a ton of different resources. And then on the other side of the city or even close in another neighborhood, you might have a school where they don't have enough computers for students. They don't have a robotics club. They don't have coding classes. 
Um, so there's really, it really is an equity issue looking at who has access to resources and who doesn't. So I think it's, I mean, it's becoming more and more important um, just based on, you know, what the workforce requirements are for people nowadays, um, for really everyone to have access to computer science, ideally from a young age. Um, similar to math and science, you want students to learn those subjects as early as possible. I really think we need to add computer science or at least computational thinking to the mix there too, um, because it's just not fair that some students are getting such a leg up compared to other students, especially for these very high paying, but also very sustainable um, jobs. Yeah, high paying, sustainable, far reaching, uh, low uh, investment, right? Because like, as long as you have the education, companies will send you the equipment, right? So it's not like you need to invest in tooling um, personally. And yeah, that makes, that makes tons of sense. What are you most excited about based on trend that you, trends that you've seen about equity in the computer science education field? I think um, something that I'm most excited about is um, the disruption to higher education and just seeing more and more uh, non-traditional pathways and really the tech companies like Google and Apple that are um, making investments into um, non-traditional pathways to tech. Um, so for example, boot camps and online learning our programs, um, I think just giving students pathways that don't have to just be a four-year college institution, to me, um, that's really exciting. That's awesome. That is something that I feel very strongly about uh, because if, um, you know, as, 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 as a person who is an immigrant in this country and did not have much backing or financial resources coming in, if I knew I didn't have to get a college degree and go through a 16-week boot camp, a semester uh, programming, like the ones you're offering, and get out with a full-time job that can you know, comfortably sustain a lifestyle, I think I would have done that hands down. But I'm still, and especially for those people who do not have the time to wait four years before getting a full-time job, they have family, like you said, that have neighbor, that they have their their parents or you know the community that um, that uh, they need to help the community or sustain the community, or they have no investments right from their parents. Uh, I had to pay for my whole college as an immigrant here in the states, and so. Um, I would have, you know, loved to save that money and 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 potentially invest it in other places. Um, I wonder, like, what is the difference between a four-year college degree and one of these type of programs um, coming out of that, graduating from those? Like, how does one that is trying to pick one or the other makes that decision? So really, beyond, I guess beyond the financial like resources, right? Definitely. It's a really hard decision that I wouldn't, you know, make a blanket recommendation. I think it, it it's yeah. 
definitely person for person, but I think, you know, I, I also went to a four-year college and I also am constantly privileged and am benefiting from going to that four-year college. So I definitely don't want to say that, you know, there's anything wrong about four-year colleges. I think for me, it's really just access being the issue that um, something like only 3%, uh, a, a very low percent of people do in the world have privilege to going to a four-year college. And just the wealth of like connections and resources and network and like the prestige that you get just from going to a four-year college. I, I do believe that if it was free for, um, doesn't need to be free for everyone because a lot of people can pay for college. Um, but if there was just giving people access to that who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity, that's what I think is important. So if a person is deciding between, you know, four-year college and something else like a boot camp, um, I would talk to people who are in both of those spaces who you kind of identify with and just really see what their experiences are. Talk to people who are in different parts of the process, people who are in college or in the boot camp, also people who are a year out, two years out, five, 10 years out to really understand, you know, what what might my experience look like um, at one place versus the other? Yeah, that makes total sense. The, are you aware of any difference in salary uh, coming out of either or, or, or do you know what, you know, if, you know, um, a person who goes through a programming like yours or a bootcamp, what is the average salary that they may get out of that? So things are definitely changing. Um, there used to be more of a stigma against people who have non-traditional pathways. It used to be mm -hmm. you uh, are a computer science major at a reputable four-year college. You are well higher uh, looked at um, than someone who went to uh, a boot camp. Things are changing because tech companies are realizing that they have an issue they have a hiring issue, they have a DEI issue. And so like um, wanting to prioritize one versus another is really just prioritizing privilege and not prioritizing talent or, um, or what someone's ceiling is. Um, so I think more and more, um, I don't know any of the stats, but I think we're going to see it. I hope that we're going to see both of those pathways equalizing. Um, and I hope people will start looking at, you know, both types of people in the same kind of light. Personally, I a lot of times prefer hiring people from boot camp. I think they have a lot of grit. I think they have a lot of interesting experiences that they're able to apply. Um, and they're yeah. great learners. So I, I don't know if anyone out there is not hiring from boot camps. Um, I think you should. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I am is like a vision person. And so I always thinking about uh, what the future could look like um, for you, for your companies, 
and or you know computer science education and equity where do you think we are headed um and what is your vision for the future definitely so um my vision for code your dreams is that um, it's going to be our communities that are building tech that our communities are using. To me, it is so scary that such a tiny percentage of people are the ones who are building technology that we're using every day that are affecting all parts of our lives. I especially look at our kids growing up and I'm just so terrified by the influences that they have from technology. And so really my vision is that, you know, we're going to equip everyone um, with the resources to solve problems that they see with technology so they can be the ones who have control over what the tech um, looks like that are really running our lives. Um, on the side of Coder Heroes, um, really the, the vision there is also has to do with accessibility. Um, the programs that we do are different at Coder Heroes. We um, do a lot of creative coding activities, um, things like um, I, I created something called Coder Yoga, which is the combination of coding and yoga. Um, so we bring a lot of body movement and emotions and feelings and imagination and play into uh, coding concepts and design concepts. And so really my vision there is that any child sees themselves as a coder because it's not, it's not gonna be a coder anymore. It's just a builder or a maker or a creator. Um, and that anyone, no matter who they are, who, how they identify or their background, that they also have the tools to, to take on that type of creator role. I love that. One last question for you, Brie. Um, and thank you so much for answering that. That's just a beautiful vision for your both of your companies uh, and how creative that yoga coding mixes. I I I, I was thinking I I I would like to attend one because I I'm interested to see what that feels like. Uh, one last question for you is. Um, some of your tools for success as a woman in tech, woman leading the business woman, uh, leading co two companies, um, being a very successful, what are some of your leadership go-tos, tools, go-tos that you recommend? Yeah, so um, really people just having a good community. So one is having mentors. Um, I now think a lot about, um, you know, how I'm thinking and what my mental space is. And I think that mentors can have a huge impact on the mindset that you have. Um, even, you know, yesterday I was feeling a little bit down, a little bit, uh, I don't know, frustrated mm -hmm. with the startup space and, and, and there were, you know, great 
female founders who really made me feel like, just keep going. You have this, you're doing great. So I think there's a lot of power in mentorship, but also people, there's power in people who are in the sea at the same stage as you are. So I think have people at your level, have people above you also mentor people as well, because you'll just learn so much and you'll be so invigorated by all of those types of um, energies. I love that. Thank you so much. Brie, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been my pleasure to have you over. Um, I uh, love having this conversation about your founder journey. I wish you the utmost success and everything you want. Um, and please let the audience know where they can find you and where they can find Code Your Dreams. Definitely. Well, I am always on LinkedIn, so definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I go by Brie, but my name on LinkedIn is Brienne Kaplan. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Code with Brie. Um, and I'm always happy to chat and connect. Um, Code Your Dreams um, also has their own handles. It's Code Your Dreams, except on Twitter because someone else has Code Your Dreams. So it is uh, We Code Dreams on Twitter. <laughs> nice. Uh, well said. Thank you so much for coming. It's been my pleasure. I hope you come back soon. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye.